For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And whosoever means all of you and it means me. (laughs) I'm humbled and a little frightened um, to be asked to speak from this pulpit. So I ask that you say a prayer for me if you would because I don't Take this lightly. When you prepare something like this, it doesn't take you very long to realize that what you're really really doing is you're talking to yourself. So if at any point tonight we get our dander up because um, you don't like something I'm saying, I hope that's not the case, I'm talking to me first. And you happen to be the secondary beneficiaries of it. And I'm glad that God uses times like that to teach us things we need to know. Philemon 1.8 says, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. This is an extraordinary thing for the Apostle Paul to write. Paul is appealing to Christians But he is not appealing to his audience on the basis of his own authority, his own power, and his own rhetoric. Rather, Paul is appealing to the church, confident in the power of the gospel, to change them. His confidence in the power of God's word is inspiring. He doesn't take authority that he has. He cedes it to God. May it be so for all of us as well. My thoughts tonight come from a place of love. They've been on my heart for weeks, and I hope that we all receive them in the spirit intended. As we begin tonight, I need to ask your indulgence. If you would, just close your eyes for a moment and listen while I read something to you. Since I started for the kingdom, since my life he controls Since I gave my heart to Jesus, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven. My heart overflows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Every need He is supplying plenteous grace he bestows. Every day my way gets brighter. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. You can open your eyes. Thank you. This lyric has been on my mind a lot the last few weeks. And the more I sang it to myself, the more God kept pestering me with a question I think is relevant, and it's rather loaded. Here is a statement that we, the church, need to consider. The longer... I'm sorry, you can open your eyes. I see some of them are still closed. Unless you're napping, that's fine too. (laughs) But this is a statement I think the church needs to consider. The longer we serve him, the sweeter we grow. Can this be said of us 
Let's think on that for a second. The longer we serve him, the sweeter we grow. This should be the case. And I think most of the time it is. But sadly, experience sometimes proves the opposite. The longer we serve him, the harsher some Christians seem to grow. They appreciate God's grace for themselves. They'll get emotional in church talking about God's redemptive power as it applies to them. But just let them get a chance to deny that redemptive power to someone they don't like. Or for someone whose sin is personally offensive to them. Suddenly God's redemptive power is diminished in their eyes. We sing the blood will never lose its power until we see the blood change someone so completely that our petty jealousies are aroused. Many Christians seem to think that God has made us gatekeepers of his grace. He needs us to tell the world who is allowed to receive it and who isn't. We think, but we're too pious sometimes to say, that God cannot possibly desire to be reconciled with people who abuse his grace. He cannot really love or want to use those who have failed and failed him again and again. And I know what one would think in this situation. I don't do that. Because we're focusing on the words that I just said. But let's not focus on the words and ignore their meaning. Sometimes our actions tell a different story. We do indeed do these things when we tell a man to stay away from the church. We say this to him because you've embarrassed us and you need to distance yourself from us. We deny God's grace. We do indeed do that when we talk in our peer groups about how God would never use people who have lived a certain lifestyle or who have participated in that or this sin. We deny the power of the blood of Jesus. And be careful with that, because that's heresy. And that's a dangerous game. We do indeed do that when we dismiss callously the needs of children to settle grievances with their parents. These are not examples from some nominally Christian congregation. These are examples from our house. I hesitated to use them. But you know what? If we can't look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves, we have no business holding up a mirror to the world and telling them to repent because Christ is the way. God won't honor that, and the world won't believe it. The world has eyes and ears, too. They can see things in our midst, often more clearly than we can. And if there is one thing the world watches closely, it's how we treat each other. And that's the irony of most human interaction. We are often the least forgiving with people we know. True of me, I know. And in general, we're more tolerant of the sins or shortcomings of the world or those people that we don't have a personal connection with. We don't know them, we don't have a personal connection, and so we can more easily dismiss and overlook their faults. And yet Jesus, who knows our very thoughts, and who in fact knows us intimately, whether we want him to or not, extends his grace to all of us all the time. 
and we gladly accept it. We sing songs about it. We celebrate it. I heard Pastor Jim Roma say something once, actually on this pulpit, that stuck with me. He said, the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. I've done it. Now, I'm not implying that God is not using this congregation. Clearly, that is not the case. He is, and he does. And I believe that most of us are honest in our attempts to be better Christians. But that should not stop us from being reflective and thoughtful about the things that we sometimes get wrong. A personal example of failing in this regard from my own life. I volunteer at the Salvation Army serving meals from time to time. And the first time I did it, this was years ago, was an eye-opening experience for me. I was appalled as person after person came through the line. Almost all reeked of cigarette smoke. Most had numerous tattoos. Some of them were dragging children along that they were clearly not interested in taking care of. And many of them were under the influence of some sort of narcotic. And the more they came, the angrier I got. Cigarettes and tattoos are not cheap, and they are certainly not free. And yet, here is this food that I was dishing out. And in a manner, because I support the Salvation Army financially, I was paying for it. And it was free. These children I saw deserved better. I thought my generosity deserved better. I was disgusted. And I am sure that my face was showing that disgust. And to make matters worse, every person who came through the line said, thank you, or I appreciate this, and so on. And most of them did not mean a word of it. It was just something they said. It was a routine. It was a rote practice. They were used to doing it. I wanted to scream every time someone said that to me, you're lying to me. You don't know what those words mean. Thank you means something. My righteous indignation was rising up. These people were abusing the system. They were using me. They were abusing my time and my finances, and they were offering insincere thanks with no intention of changing behavior. And as my disgust and anger grew, I am sure that my countenance got nastier. And then out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, and I have never forgotten, and this is exactly what it said to me. Grace is not grace if you have earned it. Mercy can't be granted to the deserving. And then the Spirit whispered something else to me. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and is still being multiplied to you, Brian. There, your burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. And in that moment, and this has only happened to me maybe once or twice in my life, my countenance changed, my perspective was irrevocably altered, and I never looked at situations like that the same ever again. I don't often experience moments of abrupt and immediate and permanent change, but in that moment, I did. 
God once again offered pardon to me so that I would view his creation through his eyes. They might not have been his children, but they are most definitely his creation, and he loved them. As the Bible reminds us again and again, kindness and love are not predicated on the actions of those who we are supposed to give it to. How I struggle with this lesson. If we are honest, many of us struggle with this lesson. When we are in doubt or deceived, God never fails to show us the right way to go as long as our only goal is to please him and show love for him. As I look back on that moment at the Salvation Army, I'm ashamed. I had denied the power of the Son of God, a power that I had personally experienced. I knew its power. I had received it. I had been redeemed by it. And in that moment, I was not interested in sharing it. 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. In that moment, I was denying the power of God. I was denying Jesus' sacrifice and what it really means. I was withholding his grace. I was working against his plan. The one that he laid out before he created the heavens and the earth. Where did I get the nerve to do that? I was an antichrist in that moment. That's a weighty label to hang around one's neck. How many times have some of us worn that label? More than likely unintentionally. If you have a Bible handy, if you'd like to, feel free to turn to 1 Timothy 2. I want to return to my original thought. The longer we serve him, do we grow sweeter? Chapter two, oh, let me get a drink here real quick. I hope this isn't from Sunday. <laughs> um, all right, so chapter 2 of 1 Timothy has the heading in most Bibles. It says, pray for all men in most editions of the Bible. Here we go. Therefore, I exhort first, Of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 
The word all is used six times in those six verses. When a writer repeats something, it's because they want the reader to notice it. I was a high school English teacher for 13 years. Trust me when I tell you. Repetition is on purpose when writers use it. The writer here in Timothy uses the word all to signify prayers, men, positions of authority or power, godly attributes, humanity as a whole, and Christ's sacrifice. That's a lot of stuff. Now prepare yourselves. This is a brilliant exposition for what the word all means in this scripture. It means all. That's a heavy charge. All is a lot of stuff. And one, frankly, that many Christians will have a hard time answering. All is an inclusive term. It includes things that we don't like or necessarily approve of. And the church can be exclusive. And that's not an indictment, by the way. That's an observation, which is more damning. Because an indictment is simply a charge. An observation is based on actions and observable experience. Timothy says, pray for all men, our leaders. Full disclosure, I don't do that. I do, but not sincerely. I'd be lying if I said I did, because what do I do? I don't pray for the souls of my political enemies. I cop out by praying for their wisdom or praying that God might stymie their efforts or remove them from power, forgetting to think about their souls. Do I, do we, pray for the souls of those who celebrate abortion on demand and up to birth? I struggle with intense anger at that despicable sin, blotting out their humanity because of what they do to those children. And it's easier as a result to dehumanize them and to forget that one day they have to answer for that charge. And as a Christian, that should trouble me. Do we till the fertile soil of God's grace, or do we try to build a fence around it? We could spend a lot of time taking apart those six verses in Mark, or Timothy, I'm sorry, but we'll save that for another day. I think often our impetuous actions are the results of a disordered spirit. So how do we get our spirits reordered? There was a monk called Brother Lawrence who lived in the 1600s, and he wrote a collection of letters and spiritual maxims that over the years, as they've been collected, have come to be called the practice of the presence of God, and it's brilliant. And I read something recently that he wrote that struck me. I think its foundation in biblical principle is as good a way to reorder our spirit as anything. This is what he wrote. Many things are possible for the person who has hope. Even more is possible for the person who has faith. 
And still more is possible for the person who knows how to love. But everything is possible for the person who practices all three. God has given us a difficult task as laid out in Scripture, one which we cannot succeed in without his holding our hand with every step. And too often we forget, and we let go of his hand. And like a parent walking just behind the bike of a child trying to ride the bike without training wheels, he patiently waits to grab hold when we realize we are about to fall and call out to Father. We, this congregation, are in a perilous time in the life of any church. But it does not mean that it has to be a dead time or a time of spiritual stagnation. Consider the situation in Mark 6. In that chapter, Jesus is debriefing his disciples after having sent them out to learn a lesson about rejection. He's trying to find a moment to catch up and rest. And in verse 34 of Mark 6, it says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. In a way, we are the same crowd Jesus saw that day. We don't have an earthly shepherd at the moment. And Christ knows that we need one. And he has compassion. And he is full of grace. There are many things he is willing to teach us. But we have to be quiet. We have to listen. God is teaching us during this time. Of this, there is no doubt. But are we humble and wise enough to listen, even when he says something we don't want to hear? As we travel this journey, my prayer for this church is that the longer we serve him, the sweeter we grow. Sweeter to each other, which will be the hardest part. And that's true. Sweeter to a thirsty world longing for that fountain that never runs dry. One of the last verses of the Bible is Revelation 22, verse 17. And it's a thing of beauty. Listen to this. And the spirit... And the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. May we hear. And may we satisfy our thirst from the waters of life. I'll say a prayer, and then I'll turn it over to you, Donna. Father, we thank you for this time together. I personally thank you for the lessons that you've taught me, that you're teaching me. I ask God that in this congregation, in this church, over the next weeks and months ahead, that the longer we serve you, the sweeter we grow. 
Help us, God, as we navigate an experience that's new for each and every one of us. And in those moments where we feel that we should let go of your hand because we know how to ride that bike, remind us that we don't. Thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy. May we continue to lean on it every day. Amen.